Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello and welcome to another Financial Times Management Podcast, the first of 2009. My name's Adam Jones. In this episode, I'm exploring the way different generations behave in the workplace. Specifically, I want to find out more about the so-called Generation Y, also known as Millennials. Born in the 1980s and early 1990s, the members of Generation Y are now in their teens and 20s and have become established members of the workforce. The task of managing them generally falls to Generation X, those born in the 60s and 70s, as well as middle-aged baby boomers. To find out how these different age groups are getting on, I chatted to Tammy Erickson, management blogger and author of a new book entitled Plugged In, The Generation Y Guide to Thriving at Work. As the title suggests, the book is written as a career guide for young workers, but Tammy also has plenty to say about the best way to manage these new employees. I started by asking her to explain exactly what makes Generation Y distinctive. Generation Y had a very interesting teenagehood. Um, essentially, many of the characteristics that shape a generation occur when a person is in their early teens. That's when we uh, tend to form most of our concepts and ideas about how the world works. Gen Y grew up uh, with us as adults talking primarily about issues of terrorism and school violence, things that are random, things that are unexpected. And so as a result, they have formed a mental model that essentially says they should live life fully today. Um, so they tend to be interpreted by adults, older colleagues, as being impatient. I like to use the word immediate. It's a generation that wants to feel that everything they're doing all the time is uh, fully meaningful and enjoyable and meeting the uh, criteria they have for living their lives. And, and how would that differ from Generation X, for instance? Well, Gen X uh, grew up in, in many countries in the midst of a lot of social change. Um, their teenhoods were times when uh, we had lousy economy, um, we had lots of unemployment, we had women entering the workforce for the first time. Many in Gen X were called latchkey kids because they were home alone in the afternoon, really one of the first times we've seen that. And as a result, X is very self-reliant and independent. Um, y, in contrast, had parents who at least uh, tried to spend a lot of time with them. Granted, uh, many of them had two working parents, but um, they tend to be very, very close to their parents. So there's a marked difference in relationships with parents between Gen X and Gen Y in general. You've talked about how this closeness to parents can be a little bit of a challenge for employers because uh, in some cases, for instance, the parents will come along to interviews with their child. <laughs> uh, how frequent is that? It's probably not that frequent that they actually show up, but a lot of employers uh, find the parents' fingerprints evident throughout the interviewing process. Uh, perhaps it's obvious that mom mailed in the letter and resume, 
and i tell companies to expect that essentially every gen y is going to touch base with their parents before they accept the job offer so pick companies need to think about a dual audience when they're creating their employee proposition what's going to appeal to the gen y and what's going to sound good to mom and dad who will almost certainly have a vote so what kind of things would the parents of gen y be looking for that you also need to signal as an employer an employer should signal that they are going to provide learning opportunities for the young person, that it's a career that the young person can grow and develop in. Um, those would be the kind of things I think most parents would look for in a job. Is it going to be a good opportunity for my, my offspring? And what about Generation Y themselves? What do employers need to demonstrate to make themselves attractive as recruiters for the best of this generation? Well, they also really like to be challenged. I'd say somewhat jokingly that the favorite Gen Y job would be one that uh, they have absolutely no idea how to do. Uh, <laughs> but the, the essential point is they like to figure things out. They're on-demand learners. And I think one of the mistakes a lot of companies make is they overstructure the jobs that they give to Gen Ys, with the result being the Ys feel very bored. So I suggest ease up a little bit, uh, provide a task, goal that you want them to accomplish, give them the names of some people in your organization that they can go to if they have a question, but let them kind of figure out the best way to do it and you may end up with a very happy surprise of some new ideas. What about feedback? I noticed that you've also been blogging recently about a, a new service called Ripple, for instance, that gives anonymized feedback to people on basic things like how did I do in the presentation? And you've said that's very attractive to Generation Y. Well, it is. Um, it turns out there's a number of things that happen in the workplace that I think actually we trip over because they have dual meanings. And feedback is perhaps one of the most important ones for uh, Boomer and Xer colleagues to understand. Uh, boomers and Xers tend to view the word feedback uh, immediately as something that renders a judgment. If I meet with my boss and he gives me feedback, he's assessing how well I did and providing a judgment on it, a score. Wise tend to use the word feedback as a, a, a euphemism essentially for learning, for teaching, for something that's going to give me an idea of how to do better. So when a Y says to an Xer, I would like more feedback, the Xer is likely to say, oh my gosh, I, I told you yesterday you're doing fine, relax. When in fact what the Y is saying is, teach me something new today. Give me, give me a new tidbit that I could work on. So they're looking to learn, not be assessed. And what about their material ambitions? How would they behave, for instance, in the pay negotiation? Would they, would they be very difficult individuals to deal with, very demanding in their, uh, what they would expect in terms of pay and bonuses? This is one of the biggest variations of Gen Y uh, globally. Uh, in, in many ways, Gen Y has some common characteristics globally. They tend to have that sense of immediacy in many uh, countries around the world. But the, the values around money and also around prestige and promotion are very, very markedly different. So if you're working with Gen Ys in, say, India or China, you should expect both money and promotion to be very important to them. If you're working with Gen Ys in parts of Western Europe and the United States, it's going to be much less of an issue.
I see. And what about technology? Obviously, this is the the generation that famously has grown up digital. Um, how does that affect the way they work, the way they structure tasks, for instance, the way they manage their time? Well, that's another really interesting aspect of Generation Y. I call them our first generation of unconsciously competent technology users. Most of them, frankly, don't even remember the first time they logged onto a computer. It was pre-conscious memory. So as far as they know, they've always been doing this stuff. And what you find is when something is learned unconsciously, uh, people may do it a bit differently. So, for example, if you look at two adult skiers, you can pretty much tell which ones learned consciously and which ones learned unconsciously because they, in fact, use quite different techniques. The same is true with computer users. So young people today, for example, if they want to get together with a friend, let's say on the weekend, they won't do it the way I would. I would call on a Wednesday and and make a schedule. I'd make a plan. They'll wait until the weekend. They'll send a text message. But the most interesting thing is what they'll text. They almost certainly will not text a plan. In other words, let's meet at such and such a restaurant or whatever. They would text a request for coordinates. Where are you? And the other person would text back his or her coordinates. And then they would begin a process of, if you will, homing in on each other, kind of like radar, following each other like radar, until they end up at the same place. But it would be through a process of coordinating, not scheduling. So when you translate that into the workplace, one of the big frustrations a lot of Gen Ys express to me is they think the workplace is hopelessly inefficient because... Older colleagues spend all their lives constrained by rigid schedules, and nothing can be done for two weeks because we've got to create a schedule in order to get there, whereas they're much more inclined to say, where are you at the moment, and let's coordinate accomplishing what we want to accomplish. How is the workplace adapting to Generation Y? Is it giving enough ground? Well, it varies certainly by uh, company to company, but I think that uh, for companies where hiring Gen Ys is a critical component of their success, we're starting to see a lot of changes. So, for example, in professional service firms that depend for their lifeblood on attracting these young people, we certainly see some of the more progressive techniques. Essentially, some things to keep in mind are, one, as I said, don't overstructure the job. Two, these people grew up working asynchronously, so they don't have the same need that you and I might to be in the same place at the same time in order to get something done. So structure the work or allow the work to be structured in ways that one can contribute and then another can contribute at another time. Those are some common uh, points of confusion. And, and that would seem to be a skill that would lend itself very well to multinational companies where you're often working with people in different time zones. Perfectly so. Absolutely true. I think these guys, if we will let them show us, there are a lot of things that they would do, if you will, naturally, that are going to be so valuable to the kind of world we're evolving into. Not everything. I'm not suggesting that we completely give up schedules, for example. Uh, but there are a lot of things that WISE do normally that will be very valuable to companies. What are their weaknesses then? And we've talked about perhaps the, the way in which they work as a, as a source of strength in that they're not so rigid. They're perhaps better at working with people they 
don't immediately interact with physically and who might be in different time zones. But what are their weaknesses? Well, I think probably the most uh, painful one for companies is that the whys often just simply don't get how business is done within corporations. So whether you want to articulate that as they don't understand the politics or uh, you know whatever would be the polite way of saying it, but they don't really understand how things happen, the unwritten rules, if you will, that go on within corporations. So they might irritate their direct supervisor by going outside the line of command, talking, taking ideas in different directions rather than knowing how to work something upward through the organizational system. I don't think that's altogether bad, but I do think it can be extremely irritating uh, to the person who feels that their major job is to, if you will, manage these guys. I have lots of people tell me they're absolutely unmanageable. Um, so that can be a weakness. It's, it's around a lot of things that have to do with how corporations traditionally have functioned. And I guess to a certain extent, this is just a new iteration of the age-old battle between the generations that's always played itself out in the workplace. It has. The interesting thing is I think that the generation that I would call traditionalists, in other words, the one ahead of boomers and boomers, tended to play by similar rules for different reasons, but the rules were quite similar. And so it's easy for those groups, people in their late 40s, 50s, 60s, etc. today, to say, hey, this is the way I did it, and it's always worked, etc., etc. Um, I think Xers didn't necessarily like those rules. In fact, I would say quite clearly didn't like those rules but didn't have as many options. They were a small generation, and they, the, the economy was difficult when they entered, and so many Xers feel almost resentful that they had to play by rules that they didn't necessarily want to play by. Ys are coming in and giving, being given, if you will, a bit more rain, and that's good for the wise. It, you know, I think companies that are responding and letting them try some new things are, are being more successful in attracting and retaining them. It does cause, I think, a number of Xers to say, hey, <laughs> I had to do it. How come this new kid is uh, being allowed to do something quite different? Tammy Erickson, thank you very much. Thank you, Adam. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining me and do listen again on January the 28th. I'll be looking at the Financial Times 2009 ranking of the world's most prestigious MBA programs. You can also keep abreast of the latest business school research and workplace debate at the FT's management blog. Just go to www.ft.com forward slash management blog. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 